Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots going on, of course, this morning. It is a Monday morning as we sashay into the sort of middle uh, part of July. It's quite a pleasant day out there. Wimbledon is still on. Not for the Russians playing at Wimbledon, it seems to be this year. And I know that uh, that shouldn't be surprising because they weren't allowed to play last year. But as I said to Kevin O'Sullivan just now, and thanks to him for warming me up uh, for this show today at 10 o'clock, he'll be back with me at 9.30 tomorrow. Um... It's the fact that they weren't in evidence last year because, of course, due to the Ukraine war, uh, they weren't allowed to play. But I watched two matches yesterday, all four players, two women and two men, all from Russia. Seems extraordinary. Um, I don't think there is any reason not to have them play there. It just was something I thought uh, was worth commenting on. But let's talk about the main business at hand, which is, of course, uh, the BBC story this morning. Once again, uh, The Sun leading the way this morning with a headline uh, which basically says suspended BBC man's panic calls two youngsters because it now turns out that not only uh, was the mother uh, of this youngster in touch with the BBC uh, she then got in touch with the son to say something needs to be done. Seven weeks ago she made the complaint to the BBC and literally nothing happened. It it wasn't until yesterday uh, that finally the BBC took a decision and suspended the individual who has still not been named uh, although there's all sorts of names floating about uh, in the ether and on the internet and even on the streets of our cities. People are talking about it. Uh, Lots of people are passing around pictures. All sorts of things are going on. I'm saying I can't imagine that the name will remain uh, anonymous for much longer. It may even come out over the course of the next few hours. That's what many people in the media believe will happen. Uh, But we're going to speak to many people today about it. We've got Lord Stuart Jackson, Conservative peer, coming up first. We've got Mark Bukowski, PR guru. Uh, Also, we'll be talking to somebody from Defund the BBC, because this, I kid you not, uh, could be the beginning of the end for the BBC because their managerial practices are so hopeless, so awful, and it's the latest in a long-running series of scandals which have been absolutely horrendous, uh, not just for the BBC but for an awful lot of the people involved in them, that surely something must be done. What on earth are we doing as licensed fee payers uh, basically funding very highly paid presenters, very highly paid executives to get involved in all sorts of nefarious activity? Paying £35,000 to what can only be described as a vulnerable teenager to send uh, dirty pictures to them uh, or to perform certain acts on camera for them. You know, that's our money that's being spent. 
Think about it that way. 0344 499 1000. This comes in a long line of scandals from Cliff Richard, uh, who was hounded by the BBC, to Jimmy Savile, who was allowed to conduct himself in a way which he should never have been allowed to do. Uh, we're talking also, of course, about Rolf Harris. We're talking about Martin Bashir. It goes all the way back to Frank Boff, for those of you who remember him. He was a sports presenter uh, who was involved in all manner of things. He was also uh, more than that, really. Um, but he was involved in all manner of uh, prostitution, rings, cocaine snorting. I mean, just unbelievable what was going on. What on earth is ever going to happen to the BBC and who is going to be the person that actually asks the questions about it? We'll also be talking, of course, um, about Joe Biden. The President of the United States of America is here. He's coming to see Rishi Sunak. He's coming to explain why uh, he's given some cluster bombs to Ukraine, uh, even though Britain is against the use of them. Uh, that should be an interesting conversation. He's going to go and see King Charles as well. Uh, they're going to have a conversation about the environment, I assume. Perhaps he's going to convince him that cluster bombs are a great idea. Uh, and then he's going over to a NATO summit, of course, as well. Uh, but we've got lots more to do. Peter Hitchens is here as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. And this, of course, is Monday morning, the kicking uh, start to yet another week. Joe Biden, as I say, is coming uh, to Downing Street. Uh, there's Larry the Cat. I think it's Larry the Cat, uh, who's just being picked up and taken inside by the police officer. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, in Britain, um, once again, didn't come for the coronation, uh, but is here now to see King Charles, apparently, uh, in a different capacity. We'll bring you that uh, as and when it happens over the course of the next half an hour or so. But let us say a very good morning to Lord Stuart Jackson, uh, Conservative peer, of course, a man that has a great many sensible things to say about a great many things. Stuart, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. We'll be crossing live to Downing Street as and when something happens there. So do forgive me if I have to interrupt you for, uh, for, for a moment from time to time. But we've got to kick it off with the BBC, really, haven't we? I mean, this is an extraordinary scandal that they seem to have embroiled themselves in. And once again, a scandal of their own making. You know, they get, in, they get informed seven weeks ago that something's been going on. They do nothing about it. Well, I think many of us who are involved in the media and politics and um, Parliament we probably know who we're talking about. Yeah. Um, that person is allegedly earning over £410,000 a year as a presenter. Um, of our money. Of our money, of the TV licence fee. I think there was a lot of debate about the future of the BBC, but you see in their reaction to this, to these allegations and the fact that they've only just apparently referred the matter to the Metropolitan Police... Um, a, a sort of self-reverential approach that they protect their own, but they are much more censorious with others. So they're very keen, for instance, to go to law and uh, breach other people's privacy, the most egregious example obviously being Cliff Richard. Yes. But they also spend a lot of public money in uh, in the on the basis of privacy and the public, in, breaking privacy yeah. of famous people and the public interest. And yet, in, in terms of their own performers, their own so-called talent, they circle wagons, they obfuscate and they delay. And, you know, to my mind, these are such serious allegations that they should have brought them to the attention of the Metropolitan Police when they were first raised in May. And I do agree with you, this could be an existential threat because the person involved allegedly 
is one of the most high-profile people in British broadcasting. Yeah, and the thing that I find amazing about the BBC is, as you say, the way that they circle the wagons. I mean, there are two characters who have been quite influential, I would say, in recent times. One is Ross Atkins, uh, who's a bloke who uh, puts himself out there as the BBC News Analysis Editor. Uh, he, he does what he calls explainers on all sorts of things. He's very keen on bashing the Tory party. He works for somebody called BBC Verify, does the media show quite a lot. He hasn't tweeted anything for three days. Now, isn't that odd? Isn't that strange? You know, where is his programme coming out on a Monday night or a Sunday night to explain how the BBC has managed to find itself in such a big hole and continues to be uh, digging? And the second woman uh, is also in the frame is their uh, misinformation correspondent, a woman by the name of Mariana Spring. When I suggested on Twitter last night that she'd gone missing, uh, she blocked me. Yeah, and uh, this isn't... This isn't an atypical situation. You only look, need to look at uh, the behaviour, for instance, of John Sopel and Emily Maitlis. Yeah. Uh, they now head up this incredibly uh, vitriolic, hostile, anti-Tory podcast yeah. called The News Agents. Yeah. And they comment on a regular basis. And these people were, within a year, or maybe a bit more, were masquerading as impartial, balanced a political senior BBC journalist. And what you actually see is what they've always been, which is partisan, hostile to the to the Conservative government. Um, and as I say, self-referential, clapping each other on the back. Mm. Particularly Sopel, who seems to comment on everything now, if it's hostile to the Tory party, including the Privileges Committee, yes. bashing Boris Johnson. And you just wonder, you know, is it a cultural mindset that is left-wing, liberal and cosmopolitan, uh, which which completely infects the BBC. And I think at the highest levels, that is the case, Not, notwithstanding the fact that they have people like Richard Sharp, who obviously resigned as chairman, and Tim Davey, who allegedly was a Conservative. Most of the, uh, most of the production and management and editorial of the BBC is liberal left, hence their hostility to things like the Rwanda scheme yeah. and to Brexit. Yeah, and bizarrely, one of the things that they continue to do, uh, all these people who are from the left of the BBC, whether they've left it or not, um, they're always complaining that it's run by Tories. Yeah, which is it's amazing, laughable, really. Because even the BBC's own internal reviews from time to time, and there haven't been many, have found that there is an institutional bias uh, towards uh, liberal causes, towards things like climate change, uh, hostility to Brexit, being pro-EU, mm. etc., etc. And, you know, people are suspicious. And now there is so many different outlets in terms of the media, people have the chance to uh, shop around. And that's why you've seen a huge drop, for instance, in the uh, listening figures for yeah. the Today programme, right. because it's it, it's way too woke and it doesn't reflect the the listening uh, uh, members yeah. of of the audience who who hitherto would have been more mainstream, centre, centre-right. Right. And one of the more ludicrous situations, and this is where you kind of have this joke about the BBC kind of eating itself, where they had a BBC correspondent standing outside BBC Broadcasting House being interviewed by a BBC broadcaster inside uh, Broadcasting House, asking them uh, what, what, was the, what was the story, and they said they didn't know anything. And you're kind of going, sorry, so one BBC person inside a building asked another BBC person outside the same building what's going on with the story, and nobody knows. 
Yeah, it's a bit BBC North Korea, you know, <laughs> reporting from Pyongyang, isn't yeah. it, really? You know, the great leader has nothing to say about yeah. the fact that he's dead. Mm. Uh, it's that sort it of is. weirdness, yeah. uh, which, in a way, it patronises and talks down to the audience. You know, you don't, you don't really deliver a good news service if you're not delivering news. And it is news. That person is an incredibly well-known long-standing broadcaster if these allegations are true it's really up to the bbc to uh, assist the metropolitan police and be in o- as open and transparent as they possibly can absolutely right and a lot of people who are um, <coughs> viewers to this show uh, and to this uh, network as well uh, will say they don't even have a license fee any uh, have a license uh, anymore because they don't watch the bbc they don't watch live television an awful lot more people are joining them but should it not now be even more urgent to ask the question whether that should be a voluntary thing? If you want to pay the BBC licence fee, by all means, go ahead and pay it. But it shouldn't be compulsory. Well, the argument has always been that we wouldn't have fantastic series like Life on Earth and other groundbreaking, uh, you know, Forty Towers, and et cetera, et cetera. And obviously the, lo- the list of BBC productions which are world-beating and exemplary are, are many, but not as many as there used to be, though. There's not. I mean, no, we were talking about exactly. this this morning. If you try and name me six really great BBC uh, shows at the moment that are on, I can't do it. No, well, there were probably uh, some of the, notwithstanding his views on climate change, which isn't everyone's cup of tea, which are somewhat catastrophist. But leaving that aside, a lot of the stuff that David Attenborough has done has been fantastic. But to be fair, that then you struggle. You struggle yeah. to look at. Dad's Army, uh, Forty Towers. You struggled, struggled to look at some of the other great drama and comedy of the 70s and 80s, for instance. And the problem is that there's this drive towards appealing to younger people, which is great. But younger people now have so many media platforms on which they can shop around. Yeah, I mean, my kids don't watch live TV at all, whether it's BBC, ITV or anything. I mean, they occasionally watch talk TV, but they don't watch BBC or ITV programmes. They just don't do it. No, and ITV News is even worse in terms of being uh, left of centre and woke, and it never used to be, but it is. And that's why a lot of people switch off, because, which is sad because I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think if people are constantly presented with things that they don't wholly believe uh, in a news programme, they eventually say, well, actually, I, I'm not going to watch it because I just don't believe it. Right. And, and that isn't isn't a great situation to be in, really, yeah, for um, any news organisation. No, I don't think it is. Um, Stuart, stay where you are, if you would. Lord Stuart Jackson with us, Conservative peers talking about a great many things. You're looking at some footage of Joe Biden's motorcade. I think the last time we saw it, he had about 32 vehicles in it. Uh, Joe Biden on his way to seeing um, uh, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in Downing Street. We'll bring you that as soon as we possibly can uh, after this on Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, we're talking to Lord Jackson, Stuart Jackson, Conservative peer, of course. Stuart, I don't know what um, uh, Biden and, and Rishi are going to discuss. I mean, we do have this kind of ridiculous conversation a lot of the time about whether there's a special relationship, about whether uh, Joe Biden's a friend uh, of Britain. I mean, I think any American president inevitably is a friend of Britain, regardless of what, you know, people may say behind the scenes. Yes, but I think that uh, Biden is less friendly than other presidents of the United States. And... Um, I think a lot of that is political. Uh, mm. A lot of that is, is bad advice from his advisers. Yeah. And some of it is ignorance. And some of it is playing uh, 
party politics and electoral politics to the Irish American diaspora who are traditionally not very friendly to to British people. Um, I, I think to be positive, this might be an opportunity to repair relations which have been a little bit frosty mm. over the uh, last year or so, mainly because of Biden's ignorance on things such as the place of Northern Ireland in the United Kingdom and the relationship with the EU. It's, it's actually been quite a simplistic yeah. analysis well, because he's painted, from the White House. Yeah, I mean, he's painted as this great statesman and this man that's been at the centre of American politics for 45 years and all the rest of it. But he's quite an arrogant character, isn't he? And he doesn't appear to be someone uh, who's very easily persuaded of something he doesn't want to be persuaded of. No, and I think there is a lot of debate and chatter in the United States about his cognitive abilities um, and the fact that he'll be in his mid-80s if he runs again and serves a full term. He will be the oldest person ever to have been the United States president. Mm. Um, I think he he really needs to understand that uh, there has to be sensibilities and just basic civilities. And for instance... You know, that silly comment about, you know, I'm not talking to the BBC because I'm Irish. Well, that, I mean, that's a little bit infantile for a president. It may have been tongue in cheek, but it wasn't very statesmanlike. No. Um, and also get it just basically getting Rishi Sunak's name wrong yeah. in a, a press conference. Well, he gets everything you know, wrong. I mean, that's the well, trouble, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, the hilarious one, which isn't really hilarious, but the fact that he... He was at a press conference and asked for someone to come to the front who he'd worked with on a campaign, and he'd been told a month before they died, and he was asking for them. You know, it's, it's basic things, and I, I just think you think back to uh, Bush. You know, Bush Junior uh, was widely ridiculed as stupid, even though he had an MBA from Harvard, yeah. um, and was was a smart operator. And Obama, Obama had class and style. You might not agree with his politics. I, I just don't think Biden's in that league, no. if I'm honest. No, I don't think he is either. I think America's in a very poor place. If he ends up being the Democratic nominee, you'd think even his family would at least say to him. I mean, look at that incident the other week where he just fell fell down flat on his face. I mean, you know, if he doesn't do that while he's here, I think we'll all be surprised. But you can't have a world leader. I mean, everybody occasionally takes a, takes a bit of a misstep or something, but you don't actually fall down. I mean, it's unbelievable what he does. Yeah, although, although there's pictures of various presidents over the years falling over, whether it's Gerald Ford or I think uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, George Bush Jr.'s father actually fell down the steps. Uh, I think he vomited at a dinner in yeah. uh, Japan. I mean, he these did. things do happen. But the difficulty with yeah, Joe Biden... Yeah, they happen Biden, to Biden a lot, though. They do happen to Biden a lot. And I I do despair slightly. I mean, I'm, I'm off to the United States on holiday in the next few weeks. And mm. I love the United States. It's a wonderful country. It's the second best country in the world, of course. Yes. Uh, but the fact is that they have a choice between Trump and Biden. And for many people, that's a really difficult choice because... Um, the fact that so many people vote for Trump shows that the system is broken. And Biden, is that really the best out of 330 million I know. people? I know, you do You do despair, don't you? Let's let's bring matters back to, uh, to homeland uh, matters, I suppose, homeland security, if you like. Um, once again, migrant crossings reaching another record over the weekend. More than 1,000 people came over two days. Um, I mean, Rishi Sunak sounds... Um, like a prime minister, but he doesn't act like one, it seems to me. He's not doing any of the things he said he would do. It's interesting because we've been debating the illegal migration bill in the Lords, and it's very heavy going because the Lords is extremely 
uh, unbalanced. It's full of people who uh, think we should be more liberal in our uh, immigration regime, that we shouldn't do anything about the small boats. Um, or they, they pay lip service to tackling illegal migration, but they, they, don't, they don't will the means. They're voting consistently against the government uh, on it. Mm. In fact, a week ago, we lost nine votes in a row in the Lords on this. Uh, and my question to those people is, what's your alternative? It's all very well saying this is a draconian bill, this is uh, lacking in compassion, but so is having a business model which enriches uh, pernicious, evil people traffickers yeah. and threatens uh, women and children with drowning. That is lacking compassion. And my point is, uh, if the Rwanda scheme and the current bill is not the answer, then it's incumbent upon people like the Archbishop of Canterbury who again have taken a, a lead which is at variance with most people's views, and, and they wonder why the Church of England pews are empty, mm, frankly. I know. Uh, you know, it's incumbent upon them to, to offer a, a feasible, workable, well-costed alternative, and that's not what they're going to do. And I do think, Mike, there is going to be a clash between the Commons and the Lords over this, because the government has... I'm, I'm not always on the same page as Rishi Sunak, but he has got a mandate for this because the Conservative Party have a mandate to deal with migration. Well, they absolutely have a mandate, but they equally don't seem to be capable of making it happen. You know, there seem to be lots of people stopping them from, from doing stuff. But every time that happens, you go, well, didn't you think this might happen? Didn't you know the Court of Appeal would say what they did? Didn't you know the Lords would try and block it? Didn't you know that the EHCR would, would probably throw their lot in with the, with the people traffickers? You know, they've got to be clever, haven't they? Yeah, they do. And I think the problem is you're, you're, you're up against a huge culture which is permissive of more and more migration. Big business in the UK is still addicted to cheap foreign labour. That's why, frankly, we've got, uh, we failed on migration. Mm. You know, 600,000 net migration figures released last month was uh, a national embarrassment. You know, I remember when I got into Parliament, we were having a go, we were kicking Tony Blair for having figures in the 200, 250,000 net migration. It's now almost three times that level, and yet it's a Conservative government that's presided over that. And and I just don't think that can be right. And mm. so, in a sense, the only thing I do agree with people like the Archbishop of Canterbury and the cross-bench peers, and of course the Liberal Democrats who would throw open all the borders, is that basically this is a sideshow. Mm. We've got to control illegal but also legal migration routes in order to reassure people that we have control over our borders. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Lord Stuart Jackson, a pleasure to talk to you as ever. Conservative peer, of course. Coming up, uh, Peter Cardwell's going to be joining us from outside number 10, Downing Street, where Joe Biden uh, will be appearing very shortly, alongside his 32-car motorcade, uh, or something like that. You know, very big on the environment is Joe Biden. He's going to talk to the king all about it. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The uh, arrival of Joe Biden at Downing Street slightly uh, delayed our conversation with Mark Bukowski, PR guru to the stars, of course. But now uh, we can talk to him about the latest scandal hitting the BBC. Uh, news out there that basically a presenter 
who's now being called Presenter X, uh, has been suspended from his job uh, because he's been uh, asking for pictures to be sent to him uh, from somebody who he's been paying for those pictures. Uh, the pictures are supposed to be of a sexual nature. We are told his mother, uh, uh, the, the, the child's mother, I should say, uh, complained about the pictures to the police, uh, sorry, to, um, uh, to the BBC, uh, and nothing was done for seven weeks until uh, she then complained to the Sun newspaper who published the story uh, over the weekend. It's now sort of day three of the scandal uh, and the BBC star in question supposedly rang uh, the family to say, what have you done after The Sun uh, published the story? Uh, so let's talk to Mark and find out what he makes of it all. Mark, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So um, poor old Tim Davey thought he was inheriting a great job when he took the job, um, but he's had nothing but misery really ever since he's been there. I'm, I'm surprised he woke up this morning uh, and not resigning himself. I mean, it is a poison chalice. Yeah. I mean, if, if anybody thinks the uh, job as director general of the BBC is an easy one, uh, they're, they're sadly mistaken. I mean, scandals um, seem to sort of hit the BBC, you know, time and time again. Um, some don't last as long as Tim Davey, but um, I think, you know, he's... He's managed to get hold of this very, very um, shitty stick again. Uh, well, yeah, exactly right. And funny enough, the, the problem with um, uh, with the BBC's own um, sort of internal investigation seems to be that in this case, very little was investigated because, uh, according to the mother of the uh, the child concerned or the then child, the, the person is now about twenty. Um, Nobody did anything. The BBC say, well, we couldn't get hold of her. Uh, we tried to get hold of her and we couldn't move the investigation on. I, I, I sort of fail to see how that's a decent excuse at all. Well, the problem, the problem with this, Mike, is that this is a 20th century crisis response to something that's happening in the 21st century. Um, we live in this age driven by the social media. Everybody can and many people, no matter how big or small their following it has an opinion. And um, every publicist, every propagandist, if you want, over the years have realised the power of the crowd, the sort of emotion of the herd. Yeah. And what the BBC have done is create this huge vacuum. And the vacuum is being filled with so, you know, it's the biggest whodunit going to a certain extent. Right. And that's the first thing to avoid. But we don't know any facts about this. The BBC haven't been very clear about facts. Now, there might be, you know, uh, some Johnny-come-lately lawyers around this who who are um, who are exercising the fit. And, of course, everybody uh, it, it, it deserves um, to have uh, their privacy protected. Um, we can't be judged by the social media mob. Uh, everybody has uh, innocence until proven guilty, not the other way around. Um, but we're not we're not seeing a, a conscious way of sort of opening this story up. And of course, the Sun, our you know, a newspaper of huge influence, are running the stories as they've got it, as they every right to do. And of course, this is fueling the next wave of speculation. Mm. And um, I've been involved with many, many crises over the years and still at the moment. And you know what, Mike, there's always two sides to the story, but we don't know the facts. And maybe the BBC are paralyzed, they can't do much with the facts, but there is this sort of overwhelming sort of issue that, that people sort of go back to Cliff Richard, people go back to, to the sort of the chaos of Jimmy Savile yeah. and they think, you know, 
you know, is there something more here? And the BBC are struggling to communicate what they can at the moment to stop this tsunami hitting them every day, where it's the most talked about subject on social media at the moment. Well, this is the problem. It's such a big organisation, and this is where, you know, the Tim Davey factor comes in, that he can't possibly know every single story in every single studio, in every single room of Broadcasting House or all of the other uh, massive headquarters that they've got. Let's not True. forget BBC Scotland itself uh, is a huge organisation, uh, which I'm sure he knows absolutely nothing about at all. Um, and they're often accused of, of political bias, of, of, you know, dodgy dealings, of all sorts of things. And, you know, there are BBC buildings up and down the country and around the world where all sorts of horrible stuff is probably going on. And he's powerless to stop it in a way. Well, that's where you need structurally in an organisation some ability. Look, the BBC are being um, pulled at all the time for, for money being spent. You know, we've just seen the usual Glastonbury, yeah. you know, how people were sent to Glastonbury or whatever, and we've seen the cuts that are coming in across all regional radio, which in my estimation is a massive mistake. But the, uh, the, the bottom line is they have to cut their cloth. And when you start having to look at sort of cost cutting, then that's where the sort of problems begin in terms of, yes, you know, you can't be across everything. Yeah. And that's what the top people within your organization helping you departmentally and having a very strong structure of internal communications. You know, and, and the bottom line to all this is that, um, you know, the, the, the only thing that I find really weird in this is that why didn't the family go to the police? Yeah. Why did they think that actually they should turn to um, a national newspaper that, of, of the impact of the sun. Um, well, so there could be two reasons for that. They, they could have, they would have one, a fear that uh, it would somehow come out and their identity wouldn't be protected, which the sun can do. Uh, and secondly, they might have thought uh, that the police wouldn't do anything either because, you know, sometimes people don't have much, uh, much sort of um, belief in the police and their ability to prosecute anyone. Well, ultimately, it will weaken their case that they didn't go to the police first, in, you know, in my professional view. But the bottom line is, I think that uh, the police are very, very... Um, it's gone of the days when you used to get leaks all the time coming from various sort of uh, from from police officers. They're pretty secure in terms of the way. Well, it was the police that uh, it was the police that leaked Cliff Richards' arrest, wasn't it? Well, with the searching of his house, and that was why the BBC well, were there. Well, Exactly, and there's been a lot of changes since then. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the BBC, we, we don't know yet. The, the biggest problem is going to be is if we, when we get hold of all the facts and we look back at it, maybe we, we should have more sympathy for the BBC, or maybe we shouldn't. Right. Maybe the BBC have been lax at this, and if they have, and if senior people have not made the right decisions, then we're stretching back to say, what did you learn from the Cliff mm. Richards? situation what did you learn from Savile even right. and that's going to really knock their reputation and that's is where it's become very very serious indeed because if you can't yeah. actually start you know if not 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 having you know some serious uh, changes since all those things you're not learning from the mistakes of the past that's when you're in serious reputational problems yeah, absolutely right just while I, I talk just before i ask you the next question there's a bit of breaking news now um a secondary school is apparently in lockdown uh, as police rush to an incident at the scene and it's a secondary school in gloucestershire uh, according to the police emergency services are at the scene of an incident at tewkesbury school 
um, in uh, Ashworth Road, uh, Ash Church Road, I should say. Schools in lockdown while police are at the scene. More information will be released in due course. Uh, as soon as we know more, obviously, we'll bring you more on that as well. Uh, one of the things that I thought yesterday when I was watching all the various bits of media coverage of this story, Mark, was this rather ludicrous scene where a BBC reporter was outside Broadcasting House, that uh, vision that we were watching just a moment ago, standing there talking to the BBC, who were presumably inside Broadcasting House, asking them uh, whether they knew whether the BBC presenter in question. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. They'd been suspended uh, and they didn't know. They couldn't confirm. And it was just the sort of, it showed you how ludicrous the BBC has become as an organisation where they can't even do the news straight really anymore um, because it turns out that but when that report was given... The presenter actually had been suspended, but nobody had told them. Well, it's internal comms. Uh, and uh, you, you touched on it earlier, Mike, which is the scale of an organisation. Mm. You know, it, 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 it's very, very difficult to, to move very quickly. And I think that this is all what has happened here is the fact that this vacuum has been filled. And we, we, we feel something about these stories. They're not necessarily truthful. They're not really based on fact, but we have an emotional response to these ideas. And we're creating all that in our head. And I think that um, it, it needs, big organizations need very robust uh, structures that are tested all the time to be able to sort of deal with each situation. Because you know, every situation is gonna be different when you meet a crisis. It's never going to be mm. any sort of, um, you know, set ways of actually coming up with a template solution. But the, the bottom line is that you've got to have the structure within your organization to be able to sort of spot these uh, these trucks coming down the highway with their lights full on right. with no driving them. And uh, I think that 
I do have mixed feelings about this. I do have sympathy because of the scale of the organisation. But we, we do live in an age now where unregulated social media can actually go to town on this. Right. And of course, we fall into that trap because all those providers of free social media services are making fortune out of the data that we're serving because we're captivated with this endless scroll, this infinite scrolling we have, searching through these sites to see whether or not we can actually come up with the answer of who the person is. And of course, now we have AI. Right. And of course, I think. Well, I mean, the other problem for the BBC is that they've managed to upset all of their major stars who are not the presenter X in question, who have all had to put out. Sit- statements on social media saying it isn't them and presumably they'll be coming to see tim david to go what the hell are you thinking and so presumably soon enough somebody at the bbc will have to take the decision to name the presenter in question well uh, uh, we don't know when that is but i did say right at the beginning uh, i pity the poor sod who actually has taken a well-earned break um, at this time, and uh, with no fault of his own, and finds himself. I think John Kay is one of the presenters, the breakfast guy, yeah. who I know really a good bloke who, who finds himself and they say, Look, I'm on holiday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of stars are Ryland Clarks, are Gary Lineker's, you know, Graham, yeah, all these people have been sucked into this mm. sort of uh, his vacuum and being used. And of course, it's bringing out the worst in uh, the, the masses who are venting their feelings, hoping that it's X and hoping it's Y. Right. Uh, and of course, if you're an agent or a publicist connected to these people, it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Uh, because you can't confirm or deny. No, it really is. It's absolutely ridiculous. But listen, Mark, thank you very much indeed, and thanks for your patience. I know we were keeping you waiting there for a while. Uh, breaking news once more. The secondary school in lockdown uh, in Tewkesbury. Police have rushed to an incident. We're told now that the incident involves a student being stabbed by a teacher. We'll bring you more on that as soon as we can. This is Talk TV. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've had a lot of breaking news this morning and we've got a statement now from the school in Tewkesbury uh, where the knife incident happened. From what we understand, um, a teacher uh, may have been stabbed by a pupil. Uh, Basically, a a teenager has been arrested by the police uh, and an adult has been taken to hospital uh, with injuries from a stab wound. Uh, The statement from the school says this. The school's head teacher, Kathleen McGillicuddy, said, we appreciate that this morning has been a worry time for all associated with Tewkesbury Academy. We are writing to reassure you that all pupils remain safe and well. We were alerted shortly before 9am this morning to reports of a serious incident which left a male member of staff in need of hospital treatment. The school was locked down and police were called immediately when we became aware of the incident. We have since been taking advice from the police on when and how to share updates with you. In the last few minutes, police have arrested a teenage boy in connection with this incident. In conjunction with police advice, the lockdown remains in place as a precaution. We hope to be able to provide a further update once cleared by police in the near future. Thank you for your patience and understanding at this difficult time. Now, interestingly enough, before this incident actually happened, uh, or before we were aware of it, we had asked Nick Dubois, CBE, former Conservative MP, to join us because Nick Dubois has been involved in the past in trying uh, to understand the problem with knife crime in this country and to try and actually pass different laws that might make things um, a bit more kind of, I don't know, I guess handleable by the authorities because the news this morning is that a record number of repeat knife crime offenders are not going to jail despite the fact that they may have re-offended several dozen times because we're told now that people need to be somehow um, uh, 
guilty of something like 50 crimes before they can even see the inside of a prison cell, which seems to me to be absolutely unbelievable. We'll also show you, as we did a bit earlier with Peter Hitchens, um, an incident from Bristol um, where a thug lunges at a Tesco worker after uh, he tried to stop him from shoplifting. Uh, and basically, this rampage then turned into a violent assault because he then tried to stab uh, said Tesco worker with a knife before smashing in the front of the shop. We'll come to that in a moment. Let's say a very good afternoon, though, to Nick Dubois. Nick, a very good afternoon to you. And good afternoon to you, Mike. Nice to see you. Difficult circumstances to, to talk about all of this, but, but tell us a little bit about what you attempted to do or what you, what you were able to do when you were uh, an MP and you were trying to get the, your head around this kind of knife crime problem. Well, this was brought attention to me just before I was elected in 2010 when knocking on doors to meet uh, potential voters, uh, I met a lady, Yvonne uh, Lawson, who mm. quite literally was just burying her son who had been senselessly stabbed at age 16, a promising young footballer as well. Right. And she and I campaigned for the remainder of my term in Parliament to introduce a law that said, if you are guilty of carrying a knife, and in this case, it was for your second offence, you automatically faced a custodial sentence, whether you were 16 or over or, or younger. Right. And, in that, and, and for that, it was four months. That law went through Parliament uh, and it went through with a lot of cross-party support. Uh, it took until 2016 for it to be placed uh, in force. And unfortunately, the courts have ignored the will of Parliament, which was clear. If you are a thug carrying a knife and you are caught for the second time, Mike, second time, mm. not multiple times beyond that, you will go to jail. And they have used loopholes to avoid it, either right. by suspending the sentence or allowing something that Ken Clark, who opposed my measure when he was Justice Secretary, had to be forced through against his will. Uh, he said, he put in this caveat, if it's not in the interests of justice, you mm. don't have to send them away. And that's why we have a situation where we have mandatory jail sentences, but judges can get round it. Right. And that is the problem in, in a lot of the sort of situations in the justice business, isn't it? Because the sentencing guidelines are often not really uh, good enough for, for judges to be able to have as much free, uh, sort of leeway as, as they could have? Well, the, 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 the law in this case, it's not even a guideline. Um, the law is really clear, Mike. Parliament spoke with one voice. I think 460 MPs backed it and the mm. rest were away. I don't think anyone opposed it. Uh, so it's a deliberate attempt to circumvent the will of Parliament. But actually, Mike, that law alone wouldn't have settled things. What has been lacking with knife crime for a decade or more has been a lack of political will yeah. to take this issue on. So when I hear about this incident at uh, Tewkesbury School, and, and, and I, I'm hoping above hope, and it sounds as if this will be the case, that the teacher will uh, pull through, mm. um, but it's a devastating experience. Um, the reality is I'm not shocked. We have got such a growth in numbers of people carrying a knife that it is inevitable mm. the assaults are now, uh, people are on charges, something like 49,000 people were charged yeah. with offences. It is a lack of political will to deal with this. And frankly, I, I got really, let me have a little rant here, Mike. If Please I may. do. Because we are hearing... All about those uh, lunatics that just stop oil, right? Because they're in the news and in the media, 
and the politicians are getting aggravated by them. They can, they're, they're doing action. They're, they're trying to do something about it. Whether it will work or not, that's another subject. Why is that same sense of determination being um, not there for knife crime? And knife crime needs multiple solutions. It isn't just about banging people up, but mm. I'm, I'm a keen advocate of that if you carry a knife repeatedly. But there's no will to do it. And I'm appalled that we are still having these increased figures, these increased incidents, and politicians just don't seem keen to take this head on. No. I mean, Peter Hitchens made an interesting point. He was in earlier and he was talking about, you know, when he was a, a, a boy at school, uh, and I would, was slightly late, later than him, but, but I would concur that, you know, people sort of carried knives of one kind or another. There was, you know, everyone more or less had a pen knife. And as he said, you know, a bad person can kill you with the end of a biro if they want to, um, but a good person can carry a knife and nothing bad will happen. But it seemed that seems to have changed. You know, there seems to be more people willing to, to actually to, to knife people. I don't know if we can see that uh, Bristol clip from uh, before. I don't know if you've seen this already, but basically it's a, it's a CCTV clip of um, a shoplifter in a Tesco's in, in Bristol. You can see him coming in there. Um, the, this is after the, 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 the security guard sort of throws him out, basically. He comes back, tries to stab him. He then is stabbed, trying to stab people in the street. He starts kicking the doors in. I mean, this... In, in years gone by would not have happened. The, the shoplifter would have run off and that would be the end of that, you know? Well, no, and do, do you know, Mike, I'm afraid I put this down to fear of never being held to account. Yes. Uh, and, and, and to me, we are, uh, these people often start, I mean, these are quite horrific images you're mm. showing. At the yeah, moment. they really are. Um, they, 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 they uh, you know, I think commends to the security team there. I mean, they were really doing their best. Yeah. But this lack of accountability, Mike, um, uh, means that people have now grown up with having been apologised for, excused, explained away as they committed crime after crime, escalating further and further. Now fueled in some cases by a, a, an appetite for drugs. That's not an excuse, yeah. but I'm just putting it out there. And fueled by this uh, worshipping we see on the darker side of the net um, uh, and social media. They think it's absolutely okay to respond to them making uh, uh, carrying out a criminal offence by lashing out with a knife and, and devastating potentially someone's life. Mike, the, the bottom line truth is that we have taken a very soft and liberal attitude to crime uh, uh, at all levels, but particularly with younger people, uh, and, and we're now getting payback for mm. that. And unfortunately, it's a tragic payback, and we have to catch up. And the brutal reality is if you, you know, to kill someone with a knife, Mike, you first have to carry a knife. Yeah. And if we're going to send people away from the courts repeatedly with a slap on the wrist, effectively, for carrying a knife, then those judges should be well aware that they are potentially setting someone free to go and maim, injure or kill someone else. Mm. They have not got the message. The only people who can give them the message are our politicians of both parties, by the way, who are pretty feeble on this. And they need to get the will to tackle this head on. And what about the actual um, ease with which people can buy knives? I mean, I've always been slightly dubious about um, whether you ban knives or you know ban certain types of knives. I know people have asked that certain types of very, very long machete type knives should be banned and those kind of, you know, Rambo style serrated edge knives should be banned. But in the end, you can just buy a knife from, from your local supermarket. I know that you need to, you know, be over 18 and all of that, but you can basically stab somebody with an ordinary knife. 
you, you can. Uh, there are laws in place that are meant to stop people getting access to these lives. But you will find, for example, you're not able to walk into a, a domestic kitchen shop and buy knives easily because of age limits right. and so forth. But there are ways around that. Theresa May brought in online laws to try and limit the sale of zombie knives. Trust me, you can still get them. Mm. Uh, and reality is you have to tackle the source of these. You've actually got to tackle the culture, the reasons for knife crime. And there's a lot of good work going on in that. And I don't poop. I know we're talking about justice and sentencing here. There is a lot of prevention work that does work, but it's only in pockets of the country. No one's prepared to invest in it on a national basis, but they need to. Um, and then uh, uh, and then obviously, as we talk about the access to knives and then the sentencing and the law. I mean, how dispiriting is it if uh, the, the police who do a stop and search, for example, which in itself seems to upset some people, they find people with knives, they take the knives off them. And then these people are back on the streets, having got hold of a new knife, wandering free to cause the carnage that they do. Right. We're paying heavy price for not tackling this over 10, 15 years ago, when eight deaths a year in London was considered a crisis and a major issue. Look where we are now. Yes. Over 40% of deaths last year are down to effectively a pointed blade. Mm. And you would think perhaps that the incident today in a school um, might get Parliament worked up enough to, to do something, wouldn't you? I'm absolutely at a loss to know why parliament is not tackling this head on i genuinely don't know mm. what is going through the minds of my colleagues and colleagues on the other side of the house to feel that it is okay to keep getting story after story and perhaps i'm being unkind to say okay but not sufficiently imperative enough for politicians to say we need to do more about this we need political leadership to do it my god these governments they appoint czars for everything specialists for this specialists for that what do we have mm. to help try and build an alliance of people from the voluntary sector, from regional and local government, politicians and police forces, and talk to the gangs themselves yeah. to understand what needs to be done? There's Because there's clearly, you know, an awful lot more of it going on. You know, whenever I talk to, uh, to Tory MPs, though, particularly those uh, in the cabinet, they say, oh, but, you know, actually crime figures are really going down. You're kind of going, sorry, you know, crime figures may be going down in your little book of, um, you know, knowledge that you can spout on television. But everybody knows who lives in this country that crime is not going down. And in fact, most people tell me that they feel a lot more at risk now when they're out and about in the streets, whether it's at nighttime or daytime. Yes. And, and, and look, Mike, uh, if any politician says that to you again in the future, just point out to them over the last 10 years, actually, knife crime um, uh, has doubled. Right. It's simple as that. Killings have gone higher. Yeah. So knock that on the head. Yeah. Don't put with that nonsense, as I know you, you wouldn't. And you're <laughs> kind of putting it to me as a hypothetical. Yes. Un unfortunately, this, this is the problem because uh, it's, it's, it's not on the agenda. And also... I'm only reading into that that they feel absolutely helpless about what to do. And, and this worries me mm. because this will end badly. Now, um, what, what I would suggest is that there are some really good people in Parliament who've looked at this closely and been overlooked and ignored. Ian Duncan Smith has written more about the causes of it. He went to cities where they dealt with it uh, uh, intelligently. Boston in America. We know Glasgow had a success, but now that's all been knocked on the head because mm. of... So we know we can deal with this, all right? 
What I want to know is why no one's picking up the phone to people like Ian Duncan Smith and saying, you know, you were right. We should have listened. Mm. Now, take this on. You would like to think so. Nick, great to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. Nick Dubois, CBE, former Conservative MP, uh, telling us his story of how he tried to change the rules and the laws on uh, knife crime and tried to get people locked up for more uh, than no time at all uh, if they committed a second offence. Now what we're seeing, however, is a record number of repeat knife crime offenders spared jail and sometimes it's taking as many as 50 different offences before they even get considered for a custodial sentence. And this comes on the day that Gloucestershire Police have confirmed that uh, an adult has been taken to hospital with a suspected stab wound following an incident at Tewkesbury School, uh, a teacher it is believed to be. Uh, police were called around nine o'clock this morning with a report that a pupil had stabbed a teacher. A teenage boy has been arrested in connection with the incident. We'll bring you more on that as soon as we know it. Coming up, we'll take your calls. We're going to be seeing uh, the world of woke. And also, we're going to talk to Kelly J. Keane as well, founder of Standing for Women, because apparently it's International Pronouns Day. Did you know that? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're going to speak to Kelly J. Keane very shortly, but uh, a statement from Gloucester Police, which came out a little bit earlier on today, uh, says this. An adult has been taken to hospital with a suspected stab wound following an incident at Tewkesbury School. We were called around 9.10am today, that's Monday, with a report a pupil had stabbed a teacher. Uh, a teenage boy has been arrested in connection with the incident. And, of course, we'll keep you updated throughout the afternoon. Ian Collins from 1, Vanessa Feltz uh, from 4, Jeremy Carl from 7, of course. I'll be on that show tonight. Um, And uh, Piers Morgan at 8 o'clock. Loads more for them uh, to get their teeth into. Right now, though, it's time for this. The World of Woke. Now, I must confess, when I came into work this morning, I did not know some things. I mean, I don't know everything, and you can't always be expected to know absolutely everything. But what I certainly did not know uh, was International Pronoun Day, right? So let's have a look at what Cheshire Police have to say. Today is International Pronouns Day, which is a day particularly important to people who identify as transgender or gender non-conforming. Being misgendered can have a huge impact on somebody and their personal well-being. It also can be used as a form of abuse for somebody, and that just isn't right. Today is about raising awareness, getting people to have conversations, and understanding why it is so important to understand the pronouns that somebody wishes to be used for them. Have a good day. Have a good day. Yeah, by all means. Absolutely. Why not indeed? Uh, Perhaps more policing might be what's required as opposed to more wokery. And the fact that it may or may not be International Pronoun Day is of no consequence to me and millions of other people. So Cheshire Constabulary, for heaven's sake, get your place in order, get your house in order, stop telling everybody what they should call each other and start actually arresting the bad guys. That would be a big help, wouldn't it? That is the world of woke. The world of woke. I mean... I'm speechless, practically, which is never a good thing when you do a talk show on television uh, and indeed uh, on the radio. By the way, uh, you've got US President Joe Biden off to meet King Charles. I think uh, he's about to arrive there at Windsor. Uh, We'll bring you that, of course, uh, when it happens as well. I think the helicopter is coming in. Um, But let's talk now to Kelly J. Keane, founder of Standing for Women. Um, Kelly, uh, I might start with uh, asking you about the Cheshire Constabulary and their uh, International Pronouns Day video. I'm not quite sure what they're trying to prove. 
Well, I think they ought to have, like you said, an international policing day That'd where they go out criminals that would be preferable i mean what a it's just a joke isn't it she's standing there with her taxpayer funded lanyard yeah. um and uh forcing this totalitarian cult upon us uh, most people i think you know pronouns when somebody says here are my pronouns i think for me that is a a clear um indication that that is perhaps the last sentence yes. i want to hear them say. it's a kind of okay see you later then yeah bye-bye you know nice to see you i'm off now but it's the same on on social media isn't it when people insist it's always the worst kind of people as well that you know whenever i get a lot of abuse i go and check out who this person is and almost inevitably it will go he him somewhere along the line because you know uh, that these are people who are virtue signalers who don't care actually about anybody else and who are just trying to prove that they're nice people yeah well hashtag be kind yes it's often Yes. profiles as well well after which brings me to, to the next clip which i'm going to play you this is a trans pride event which you might have spotted over the weekend um this is an activist uh, who decided to make a little speech have a look i was i was gonna come here and be really fluffy and be really nice and say yeah be really lovely and queer and gay no if you see a turf punch him in the <laughs> face that's charming, isn't it? Mm, well, he's been to some of my events at Hyde Park um, Has he? with equally menacing right. uh, language. Um, but, you know, it's National Pronouns Day. As long as we don't misgender him, then I'm sure everywhere, all the police are going to be fine. He can incite violence against women. Um, but, but if you started uh, inciting like violence, presumably against him or, or anybody that he was with, then you'd probably be arrested, wouldn't you? Well, I've had the police at my house for being untoward about paedophiles, so all bets are off yeah. as to what somebody might do about me. But that individual is an actual, is a convict, a very violent, convicted criminal. This isn't just this isn't just some sort of overinflated ego mm. shouting something. This this is someone with a history of violence, right. um, and I think we should take him seriously when he says that he would like to punch women in the face. Yeah. I think that's probably exactly what he'd like to do. Yeah, and in any other world, you would think that a person saying that kind of thing to a large crowd would be considered to be inciting violence, surely? Well, absolutely. And, and look, the Met have got a, a history of being so fantastic for women. Um, no misogyny at all in their number, in their ranks. Oh, no. And I hate, I hate to bleat on about misogyny because... I really think that most people, most individuals, male and female that I meet, are pretty fair and reasonable people. And then we seem to have loads of people in positions of power that couldn't actually care less about women and the sort of threats and violence that are consistently um, uh, pushed towards us. You know, we've got, I think there's a, there's a girl recently in the news who had been raped and then one of the officers was harassing her and it took her longer to get the police to look at that than it did for somebody when I spoke on YouTube to get the police out to interview me under caution. It's yeah. absolutely horrendous. They do seem a lot quicker to react to those types of, you know, what they call crimes as opposed to what I call real crimes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's utterly shameful. Mm. Um, and I think maybe they ought to have a tier system if we're going to judge the police by the amount of convictions and the amount of interviews or whatever it is that they have to do to get brownie points, and I don't mean stonewall points, uh, but brownie points, then I think there ought to be, you know, you get five stars for a murderer and maybe you get 0.3 stars if you tell a woman off for naughty words. Yes, yes, I think that's not a bad idea for a system. But I guess it's not helped by, you know, 
what you might regard as sort of relatively straightforward organisations and mainstream organisations changing the lexicon, changing the wording of things. We've got one today, Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust. I don't know if you've seen this one, um, where they've defended its their publication of a glossary that included the term bonus hole as an alternative to vagina. Huh? No, and the only person allowed to have a vagina actually in that glossary is a man yeah. who's had a... Um, successful unsuccessful usually surgery uh, so a man's allowed to have a vagina but women aren't we're allowed to have something vile like a front or bonus hole i mean you know take your pick that's horrendous isn't it i mean what are you supposed to be teaching children about sex education if this is what they're being taught it seems extraordinary that anybody's allowing it to go ahead well, it's like you say, look, people have been stupid for a very long time and, and lots of little culty people, mm. um, extra stupid. And, and we, we're all OK about that because we're a fair and tolerant society. But this is education systems. This is uh, cancer, cervical cancer charities, breast cancer charities. They talk uh, about men having breast cancer, which is an incidence of less than 3%. I'm not saying that we shouldn't also ensure that men do check themselves for different sorts of cancers. But... There's all this focus uh, away from women, it seems. Testicular cancer, for example, uses the word man a lot, and rightly so. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to cervical cancer, I mean, in Canada, they had a page for so-called trans women uh, so they could look at their symptoms of cervical cancer. When well, they I mean, I've seen, I've seen a doctor on the BBC referring to people with prostates. And I was oh, like, so... you, think you mean men? Do you? Is that men you're talking about? I just think, like, all the virtue in all the world, what you basically do when you talk like that is you, and these will be people that are totally pro-immigration, um, which yeah. is absolutely fine by me, uh, but those immigrants that come into this country that speak sing English as a second language are not going to know that they're a person with a prostate, but they will know they're a man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and interestingly enough, I mean, a lot of those people for whom uh, the, the the bleeding hearts sort of lefties love uh, to come into the country don't actually share their belief system either. Most of them would not be uh, very happy to be told actually that if you're a man, um, you might be a woman, or there's a woman over there might have a penis. You know, they wouldn't be buying any of that. Well, that is a good. Uh, that's a very good argument for more immigration then. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned. Yes. Look, uh, have you got any words of, uh, of of congratulation for Miss uh, Miss Netherlands? There's a new Miss Netherlands in town, but uh, who happens to be um, a trans woman uh, who will now compete for Miss Universe. Well, I've seen him, um, and I think we all know that he was selected because he's a man and not because he was the most beautiful person yeah. standing up on that stage. But let, let the men have it. You know, I'm I'm quite happy that beauty pageants. Uh, disappear um, and men take it all along with other sort of objectifying. Yeah. So you can't you can't have a bikini round, uh, but you can be a bloke. Well, I, I suspect actually, if there were lots of men who were um, Grand Prix pit girls, um, I think actually we'd still have them. So maybe they should go and co-op that. That yeah. would be great for me. Yeah, maybe. As long as Damien Lewis doesn't do the singing, you'll be happy with that. That's fine. <laughs> Kelly J. Keane, thank you very much indeed, founder of Standing for Women. Um, some of the stuff that goes on out there just simply doesn't make any sense. Obfuscating the language, changing the way things are, doesn't make any sense. It's not just a traditional uh, thing that I'm talking about. It's not just because, you know, I'm some kind of a dyed-in-the-wool old caveman. It just doesn't make any sense. And I can tell you there are plenty of kids going to school right now uh, who are not buying any of it. 
It's as simple as that. Coming up, though, uh, we've got more of your calls to take. 0344 499 1000. Uh, Dave from Lancashire, who comes of Angry Dave, says this. Uh, the BBC, where do we start? I've said for years it's a disgraceful organisation. I believe it's about time we looked into where all the children in need money goes. They pushed this massively for decades, raising millions and millions, and yet the country and children's welfare is still in decline. Funny that, isn't it? Um, and how about this from Peter and Stevenage? Mike, they're the bloody police. Not the bloody social services. Get out and catch some criminals. Morons. Uh, I think that's a fair point. You can't argue with that, really, can you? This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.